We have to ask ourselves, do we really love? Amen. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. Believe it or not, we've exited John chapter 4. I mentioned Wednesday that I have known for many weeks that, um, that I was going to be in John chapter 4, and then I know that God wants me, and He's already preparing me for John chapter 6, and He has settled it in my heart that the easiest way and the best way to get to John chapter 6 is to preach right through John chapter 5. So we're heading to 6, but do not miss what God has in chapter 5 for us. It's on page 1,225 in that pew Bible that you are using right there. John chapter 5. Today we will begin by taking verses 1 to 15. Wishing on a star, finding a four-leaf clover, a rabbit's foot, all are considered things that can bring good luck. I didn't tell you anything you didn't know right then. When in China in 2015, Angela and I visited a temple where everyone there would get these incense and they would light them and they would bring them to this golden God built in the middle of this temple. And this is not a small thing. And they believed that when you burned incense and brought it before this God, that it brought favor into your life. And Angela and I stood back, not participating in this because that would just not be correct. But we watched how people just flocked to doing that. And people that we knew, because we got to know them on the trip just a little bit, that professed to be Christians, but they felt no issue with being a part of what they thought was probably just a fun tradition. You know, nearly everyone has heard of or perhaps seen, or maybe you've even been to the Trevi Fountain in Rome, Italy. That tradition there is for visitors to take a coin and to go to the fountain and to turn around backwards and to fling the coins over your head into the fountain and when you do that, it is to guarantee that you will one day return to Rome and you will find love. It's said that more than a million dollars in coins is recovered each year from the Trevi Fountain and given to a local organization. There's really no information I could find on how many people that had thrown coins had actually found their way back there. And have no indication of how many people found love because they threw those coins backwards in that fountain. Maybe you've heard of the Blarney Stone. The Blarney Stone is in Blarney, Ireland, of all places, located outside of the Blarney Castle. The Blarney Stone is known for being able to bestow what has been called the gift of gab to those who kiss the Blarney Stone. Now, this stone, this Blarney stone, is set in a castle wall, and visitors must lean backwards while holding on to an iron railing to be able to position yourself to kiss the Blarney stone. Or perhaps more locally, at least internationally speaking, uh, you have visited Hoover Dam. 
And on the Nevada side of the Hoover Dam sits a pair of 30-foot-tall bronze Art Deco statues known as the winged figures of the Republic. These figures' feet have been rubbed shiny and smooth by countless visitors touching their toes upon visits for good luck. I hate to break this to you, but words such as luck, chance, or fate should not be part of a serious Christian's vocabulary. There's no such thing. But many people believe so strongly in these words and their ability for them to impact their lives. And it's in that background that we walk into John chapter 5. I ask you to stand with me. We're going to read John chapter 5, picking up in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 15. John chapter 5, picking up in verse 1, it says, Now after this, There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered him, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is that man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this. Now, we've just spent a month in John chapter 4. And it says in verse 1 that Jesus returns to Jerusalem for one of the feasts of the Jews. Now, we're not told exactly which feast of the Jews that it is, and I'm not so sure, even though there's lots of people who want to spend a lot of time trying to figure out which one it is, that's not really important for why we're here. But we know that it was a feast of the Jews, and Jewish men were called to come to three feasts a year at minimum, into Jerusalem. So we know that this is a time where a lot of people are coming to Jerusalem for whatever feast this is. Verse 2 says that he, Jesus, when coming to Jerusalem at this very crowded time for the feast, which would have come with lots of religious activities, verse 2 says that he went to the pool of Bethesda located near the Sheep Gate. 
Now, in 2019, I was got a chance, Angela and I did, and Kevin and Sharon did, we got a chance to uh, go to this exact place. And they tell you stories about this location and this place. And the stories they tell you are not highly Christian stories. And I happen to have a wife who's, if she loses her phone, you've got to help her find it. Every note she's ever taken from any place we've ever been is in that phone. We were driving to Addie Day on Friday, and there's no reason for me to tell you what Addie Day is. You know what Addie Day is. But we were driving to Addie Day, and I was talking to Angela about this scripture a little bit, and I try really hard not to give her the sermon. She's not heard this sermon. She just knows that I'm going to talk about the Pool of Bethesda. And she called up in her notes, and she even had a video because in this place where we were, we stopped and sang congregationally with the group that we were, How Great Thou Art. And she still had the video. And so we learn a lot about this place. But this pool area, this place of Bethesda is not a place that we can question whether it's real or not. It's located near the Sheep Gate. It had two pools and five porches or porticos. And some would say that it was covered areas. You know what a portico is. Many of you walked right underneath one to get into the building today. And so it's a covered area. And so there's five of them. There's one on each side of the pools. There's two pools, and there's a portico in between that divides them. So you sort of get this mental picture of what this looks like. And this pool, verse 3 tells us, had become a gathering place of what Scripture says is a great multitude. Now, it's interesting. It's not just that this is a place where lots of people gather. This is a lots of place. This is a place where lots of people with particular needs gather. Verse 3 tells us it's a multitude of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. And there, verse 5 tells us that Jesus met a man who had been infirmed, had had one of these issues for 38 years. And all manuscripts agree. But here's where I want to find something unique, depending upon what translation of the Bible you're reading. Did anybody... When I was reading the end of verse 3 and verse 4, did anybody's Bible skip the second half of verse 3 and you don't even have a verse 4? Does anybody's Bible show that? There's some in here that go straight from that. It goes 3, abrupts it half, and goes straight to 5. And it's very interesting. And so I stopped and spent some time on this. I'd like to introduce you to a technical term. We're not going to spend a lot of time about this technical term, but I want you to understand what's happened and why it's happened because it's very important to what we understand. The technical term is called textual criticism. It is people who spend type technical criticism, textual criticism, I wrote this down to make sure I say it correctly, is the art and science of finding New Testament manuscripts and reading and verifying them against the largest base of manuscripts known to man to ensure that the scripture you read is as close to the original text as possible. Do you know that the New Testament is the most verified factual document ever created by man? 
There's over 8,000 manuscripts in Greek. There's over 5,000 in Hebrew. And then there's many other countless ones in other languages. Now, while in Israel, we saw this, you know, the scriptures would be written, handwritten. And there are scribes that even today, they take it as their sole responsibility of writing the scriptures over and over and over. And that's how it was passed down. And up until the printing press was created, the only Bible people ever saw was Bible that had been hand transcribed. And we're not talking about they did this for three years after Jesus died. They did this for 1,500 years after Jesus died. Most biblical translations, most of these manuscripts are extremely close to one another. The main differences occur in a couple of different places in the New Testament. One is in the story of the woman caught in adultery they brought to Jesus, and the rest is Mark chapter 16. There's a, there's a period there, the last verse is there. There are also various spelling and grammar issues and some slight additions and exclusions. This is all very reasonable, seeing that everything for hundreds of years was transcribed by people handwriting. And as cultures would change and beliefs would change and things like that, there would be little issues added and taken away. Now, scriptural insight, depending on the Bible translation you prefer, people would choose which textual criticism they were going to follow in order to create their biblical translation. So based upon the verses we just read this morning, let me just give you just a slight layout here. If your translations are the NIV, the ESV, or the NLT, they exclude the second half of verse 3 and all of verse 4, but they have a note that takes you down to the bottom and basically quotes what they took out and said, in many manuscripts, this is included. Or if you're the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, or the Holman Christian Standard, they include these verses, but make notes referring to the manuscripts down below, stating that in many manuscripts, these words are not found. While I do not believe the inclusion or exclusion of these verses changes the impact of the scriptural truth intended for us, I wanted to take a moment to discuss this, these verses, because we need to have confidence in what we read and how we read God's Word. Now, due to the great multitude of people with needs that gathered here, there's at least some belief that these waters could have provided some kind of healing and relief from one's personal needs. Now, while we were there, they talked about, because it was near the sheep gate, we're given scriptural insight, that there might have been some lanolin from the sheep that would come there that could have gotten in the water, and lanolin, we all know, is good for skin repair, and it could have been something that provided people some natural relief that is there. I just don't believe, while I do preach from the New King James, I will tell you that verses, that half of three and all of four, while it is in the New King James. Church, we cannot misunderstand what they say. It says in here, 
that these people gathered here waiting for a moving of the water. That there would be a time when an angel would come and just stir up the water and that the first person in would all of a sudden be healed. That's not how God works. God is about his glory and his honor. God always takes credit for what he does. God always tells people what he's going to do. There's always a reason behind it, whether it be before or after. And so, church, we need to understand that what we're given in these verses is a whole lot like the Trevi Fountain, is a whole lot like the Blarney Stone, is a whole lot like rubbing the feet of the bronze statues of the Republic at the Hoover Dam. It's some superstition or belief in luck, fate, or chance that had taken a hold of this place and this people. And you're going, Jeff, I don't know if I buy that or not. Well, let's think about that. Is it possible that things like that still happen today? Because if I could show you ways that people get all worked up over things like that today, it would add to our, val our validity. Let me tell you about three places I found, and I could have told you about many places that are found. The Antihuatana stone in a place called Machu Picchu, which is in Peru, carries a ritual that if one presses their forehead to the stone, that they will be granted visions into the spiritual world. Do you know that that stone saw so many people coming to press its forehead against it that they now have it roped off? You can't do that any longer because the erosion of that stone by people coming to get spiritual insight by thinking they could get it by placing their foreheads against that stone was wearing that rock plumb out. The Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, Turkey, is a 6th century place of worship that is now considered one of the world's greatest monuments. Visitors can test their luck at the famous wishing column, also known as the weeping column. You can go and look this up. I've actually got it printed here. If you want to see me afterwards, I can show you a picture of most of them and talk about it with you. But it says that if you stick your thumb in this hole that is in this weeping column, and that your thumb comes out wet, that you will be cured of all your ailments. And if your thumb comes out dry, then you're just out of luck. You know what I couldn't find? I couldn't find any verifiable information where somebody went there, touched it, got a wet thumb, and all of a sudden got better. But you should see this thing. It is absolutely worn out in the metal. The patina is gone. The metal is worn out. It's indented one hopeful thumb at a time. There's a place called the Modern Well in Cornwall, England. has long been known for its healing properties of the water. Tradition has people taking pieces of cloth or ribbon known as clouties, C-L-O-U-T-I-E-S, that were torn from a part of the body where the ailment was. So if it was my shoulder, I would have torn it off of my sleeve. And they tie these cloudies to the tree that's buried, that's got its roots in the water. And they say that as that piece of cloth or that ribbon erodes, comes apart, so does the ailment in the person's 
body. And there are pictures of this tree full, full, full of ribbons and cloth. So while I cannot know the actual purposes of the pool of Bethesda, I will tell you that it is reasonable to me, because it happens still today, that people had given it credit for healing powers, that place and those waters. But don't let that cause you to struggle with this because there's a very valid reason is there. Think about that. You're some person whose job is 1,200 years ago to write this down and you're a believer in Christ and then you read this and you're going, I'm not writing that. That sounds like some kind of hocus pocus stuff and I don't want people to associate that with Christ and then you write a manuscript and you just choose to leave it out. Or others, leave it in until you get this over time. But church, I want to tell you that God, through the working and the leading of his Holy Spirit, has inspired man to provide us the word of God for life and that we can trust it. And by taking the time to talk about, hey, where'd my last half of verse 3 and my verse 4 go in some of our Bibles, we should be able to trust it more because everything is very clearly defined. Now, let's move on from that for just a second. Verse 5, it says that a certain man who was there that had been dealing with an issue for 38 years, and Jesus, verse 6, says he speaks to this man. Have you noticed that Jesus has this habit of walking up to people and initiating the conversation with them? That would be a good thing for us to preach on, except we already did. And I pray that you are taking the initiative in bringing up Jesus. But catch this. Jesus comes to Jerusalem at feast time and makes a beeline for a place where a great, multi people, great multitude of people with misinformed thoughts gather every day, hoping, wishing, waiting, likely in vain, and Jesus enters that multitude and seeks out one particular man. Just one. Verse 6 says that Jesus already knew the man had been in that condition a long time. Jesus knew that man. He went to see that man. I want to take a moment, whether you're in the room or whether you're on the phone or whether you're online, whether you're listening to this live or whether it's Wednesday evening when you're listening to this online, I want to encourage you to take heart. Just like Jesus knew where that man was, just like Jesus knew what that man's issues were, Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows what you need, and he is ready to provide that. But it is only Jesus that can provide this. Not superstition, not luck, not a, not a stone, not a statue, not a four-leaf clover. But Jesus can provide this. And Jesus asks him this question, verse 6. Do you want to be made well? It's a simple question. Do you want to be made well? And look at the man's response. Look at verse 7. The man immediately answered him and says, Sir, 
I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now that man, instead of saying probably what I would like to think I would say, I don't know, you would like to think that that man would say, well, yes, yes, I do. I would like to be made well. I have felt this way for 38 years. I don't want to feel this way any longer. But instead, he made excuses. Do you see what he said? He said, how can I? I have no man to help me get to the water. This man believed that if somehow he could have received help from somebody else, that he could have gotten to the pool before everybody else, and somehow he was going to be made well. That's what he believed. Because Jesus said, you want to be made well? And the man said, how can I? I can't get there. The man had already said, this is the only way that I could be made well. And I don't have anybody to help me be well. He did not hear Jesus' question as an offer to be made well. In fact, as we've read this scripture, this man does not even know who Jesus is. Verse 8, Jesus said, here I am. That's a Jeff paraphrase. Jesus said, you don't have a man? I'll be your man. I'm here to help. That's what he said to him. He said, I'm the man you need to help you. Jesus didn't say it that way, but everything Jesus has done up to this moment has screamed to this man, I will be your man. Came to Jerusalem, bypassed everything as far as we are known, goes straight to here, large place, full of people with needs, finds this man, goes to see this man, initiates the conversation with this man, and then says, I'll be your man. I can help you. I can be the one. And Jesus says in verse 8, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Just like that. Just like that, Jesus said, rise and take up your bed and walk. Verse 9 says, immediately, the man was made well. And he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. This newly healed man grabs his stuff and walks away. That's what it says. Before we leave this verse, because I've got something else I want for us to talk about, but before we leave this verse, I need to ask you, do you desire to be somebody's man? Now, let me clarify what I mean by that. This man who needed healing said, I can't get healing because I don't have anybody helping me get to the source of the healing. Now, this man was mistaken about his source. I don't believe he was going to get healing there. And Jesus is coming to him and saying, 
Let me change your understanding. I'm your man. I am the source. Do you know that there are people in your family, people in your work life, people in your neighborhood, people up and down the rows of places that you visit that don't know Jesus? They can tell you about finding four-leaf clovers. They can say, I've been to the Blarney Stone. I've thrown every penny I had into the Trevi Fountain. They can tell you, I'm waiting, I'm hoping, I'm wishing. But they don't know about Jesus. Just like this man. No idea who Jesus is. This is where you have an opportunity. You could be that person. Do you desire to be that person who can say, I can show you the source of healing? Now, whether that is physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, can I tell you that God's word said that Jesus is the answer? But so many people for most of their lives are hoping in something that's not real. While we, who know the answer of what's real, aren't taking the time to step into active duty to be their person, to be their man, to stay with this issue. Will you get involved? That's a big deal. Will you get involved? I've shared with you that getting involved is pretty cool. It's also pretty stressful. But I can tell you that from last week to this week, the situation that I told you about is escalating because I found the one I was talking to had all kinds of needs, but no kinds of answers. And I'm just trying to help them meet the one who has all the answers. And that you can do every single day of your life. You know, we've been commanded to go and tell. We've been commanded to be the man. Step in and do. Without our obedient involvement, people will still cling to their own remedies. A remedy like this, there's one in Havana, Cuba called the Gentleman from Paris. It's a statue. Locals and visitors looking for prosperity are told to go and touch his finger. And I've seen pictures. His finger has no patina. It's just bright gold. And he now looks like he has a deformed finger because they have whittled his finger down to where it's much smaller because they want prosperity and they'll rub the finger and they'll go there and do it says that if you stroke his beard, you're guaranteed to return to Havana one day. Both his finger and his beard are a glossy gold instead of the darker patina due to all of the touching. Church, it's out there everywhere. Now, this story takes either a sad twist or a funny twist. just depends upon your humor level, I guess, and the way you're reading God's Word. Look at verse 10. The Jews, and do you know these Jews that didn't want to support Jesus, follow Jesus, or believe in Jesus? You know they're always watching him. Whatever Jesus does, they're always there. And the Jews, they see this newly healed man, 
And they walk up to him and they say, sir, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be carrying that bed. Oh, my goodness. You know what they maybe could have said is, wow, are you the same man for 38 years had been able to walk? No, they're so lost and blind to Jesus that they're going, what are you doing walking around with that in your hand? You know, there's so many people putting stock in luck and fortune. Now we meet a group of people that are putting stock in legalities and laws. And we represent all of them at times. And they say, you're not supposed to be carrying that. Verse 11 said that this now newly healed man said in response, I'm just doing what the man who made me well told me to do. Now, I just want to encourage you for just a second. You know, there's a lot of people in this world you're going to have to try to listen to. Let me give you one simple rule that I try to live my life by. I have people all the time tell me what they think I should do, what they think I need to do, who I need to say something to, who I don't need to say something to. I get people telling me that all the time, trying to help me do what I'm supposed to do. And here's my rule of life. And if I've let you down, this rule will make sense to you now. I want to make sure that I please the one that I will eventually stand before one day. Because, let me remind you, church, we will one day stand before God. And Scripture says that as a child of God, we will stand before God and we will answer for every opportunity that we were given, whether we handled it well or not. You will stand before Jesus and get to talk about these opportunities. And I just want to be ready to say, yeah, I saw them and I talked to them. Let me share you an example with you. Different person, but I, I spoke to somebody earlier this week at the same place. Except this one was a patient. I may have even said this on Wednesday. I've, 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 I've been telling stories about Jesus so often that sometimes I forget where I'm telling them. But since you guys all weren't here Wednesday, if you're here Wednesday, just listen to it again. But I walk in and I see this man that I've seen every single day. And I finally walk out going, I can't not talk to him. So I walk over to him and find out who he is and find out that he's got four days left of treatment. And I said, I just want you to know God loves you and somebody's praying for you because every day that me on that panel bench is praying for you. And he said a couple of things. He said, I've seen you over there as well, and I've always thought you looked awful young to be going through whatever it is you're going through. So I talked to him just a little bit, and I walked out, and the Lord hit me with something that I just must share with you right now. I walked out, and I said, Lord, thank you for showing me that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who see and walk and tell people. And then there are people who see 
and sit and do nothing. You guys saw what happened there, right? I see and go talk. I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm just trying to say when Jesus is what's motivating you, what's driving you, what is the center of all that you're doing, you will see, everybody sees, and then you will do something. Do you have a desire to be used of God to be somebody's man, to help them come to where the answer of true healing is? So he says, I'm just doing what the man who made me well told me to do. And they go, well, who is that man? Verse 13, he says, I don't know. You can go read it. That's what he said. I don't know. It was like you can picture he turned around to try to point at him because he didn't know who he was, but Scripture teaches us that Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. He said, I don't know. Verse 14 says, afterward, at a time that came later, Jesus found this man in the temple, likely paying his sacrifice and offering. Church, don't miss this. A second time, Jesus went and found this man. Wow. What a Savior we have that will pursue us, come after us know our needs, and want to help us. What a Savior we have. Why would we not want everybody to know this Savior? But Jesus comes to him, and he says this in verse 14, you have been made well, sin no more. Jesus is perhaps inferring that the issue in that man's life had been caused by the way that that man had lived his life. Now again, Jesus is not coming to condemn this man, just like the woman caught in adultery. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. Just stop. Sin no more. I believe that there could be some truth in this next statement. Perhaps the root of much of the problems in your life are related to the sin that you're holding on to. The sin is hurting you, causing you to look everywhere for relief. You may feel down on your luck. You just need something to change. And I'm here to tell you that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to seek you out, remind you of the impact of your sin. He's going to tell you that He can make you well that he can bring a change of life. This newly healed man leaves Jesus, goes and tells the Jewish leaders, that's the one, Jesus said me, Jesus made me well. Now it's interesting. that we're never given any indication that this man ever came to have faith in Jesus. It's not there. We could read and study this and talk about the grace of God, though. 
how God sent His Son so that we could be forgiven and have life made whole and eternal. And not everybody who hears that is going to accept that. And so many times as a church, we allow that to, that that realization that they're not going to listen to me, we allow that rejection to cause us to not even get in the game. If I told you that if you woke up every single day and you prayed, Jesus, put somebody in my life that I can tell about you. Put somebody in my life that I could tell about you. And a hundred days in a row, you prayed that, and Jesus put somebody in your life in front of you. And a hundred times, you were going to be rejected. That no faith was going to come from it. But on that hundred and first time, it was going to work. That they would come to faith in Christ. Would you be willing to put up with 100 rejections to see one acceptance of eternal life? You see, so many times we put ourselves out of the game because we go, they're not going to listen anyway. That man didn't even listen. Your job is not to decide whether they listen or not. Your job is to take them to the one who can bring them life. That's our job. Jesus is coming for all. That's his desire. Scripture says he wants all to come to know him. And he's told us to go and tell. We've been called to be the man. To help people who do not know come to meet the one who is. Church, will you be that person willing to step in and help people?